Well, thanks for coming back tonight. I am excited about the, the text we're going to address and the subject that we're going to encounter in that text. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're turning there, we're in a series where we're just considering the issues surrounding the church. Really asking a question, how can we excel in being Christ's bride? <clears throat> I hope any believer that you know who is in a relationship, marriage relationship, would want to be the best possible spouse that they could be. Well, when you study the doctrine of the church, what you're really doing is saying, I want to be all I can be as the bride of Christ. Now, while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 12, you should know that chapter very well. It's, it's the great chapter on spiritual gifts. I want to talk to you a little bit about how God describes the church in the New Testament. It's predominantly through... Paul, though Peter has some things to say, he, he says we're, we're bricks in the building. Paul talks of us as a, as a building and, and he speaks of us in various illustrations, his uh, even marriage relationship, Ephesians 5, a building also in 1 Corinthians 4. But the illustration that he presses more than any other illustration, the illustration he explains, he, he fleshes out is here in 1 Corinthians 12. And the, the, the illustration is that of the human body. And it makes sense once you drill down and see what he's talking about, how it so perfectly and so adequately describes what's going on in the body of Christ, the church. I hope that you've come to a place in your life where you understand ecclesiology. You understand the doctrine of the church. Said another way, every one of us are ecclesiologists. We're church theologians. We all have a certain mindset about what church is and what it isn't. I would say, though, that few institutions on the planet are more misunderstood than the church. We could survey many who are outside of our church and, and get a lot of crazy answers and strange answers. And, and that would be amusing to listen to. But I wonder sometimes, just in a casual conversation with each other, if we said, what is the church... How do you describe the church? What would you say? We say things like we go to church. Is, is that accurate? No, no, of course, in some sense, it's accurate. But is that, is that descriptive of our theology, of our ecclesiology? Church is a place we go to. Or we attend church. Like you would attend a classroom. Or we talk about my church. Well, that's my church. And, I love the fact that we all are a little bit possessive of our church. Or this is Rick's church. Someone said, well, that's Rick Holland's church. It's not Rick Holland's church. It's Jesus' church. I'd rather not compete with him. We talk about the buildings of the church. We talk about giving to the church. And all of those have a, an element and a dimension of truth to them. There's no reason to beat anyone up for saying those things. But I, ha I think that we have to be careful that we let those those ideas begin to influence what the church really is in our heart, in our mind, in our understanding. Well, as I said, Paul describes the church in many ways and tries to illustrate it, or actually he does more than try, he illustrates it in a lot of different, from a lot of different angles, nowhere more than here and no place with more intensity or with more details than this about the body. 1 Corinthians 12 is usually thought of as the chapter on spiritual gifts. And it is. 
You can find all sorts of gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 is usually the battleground for the debate about charismatic theology. And you can certainly find your place to debate that as well. But what's at stake here? What Paul is really describing here, I think is often misunderstood with an over-application and an over-emphasis on the gifts themselves. And we find that basically in two verses. Look at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And then in parallel tandem in verse 5, there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all. The point here is not so much find your spiritual gift and make sure you do it. Uh, I remember when I was um, uh, in high school, I took the spiritual gifts inventory. You ever taken that? Where you find, you, you take this test and it tells you these are your spiritual gifts and I, I suppose that can be helpful in some senses to find that, you know, I do this or that. Here, if you want a real quick series of about 10 seconds on spiritual gifts, here's the deal. Try them all and see what, what God blesses. And there are varieties. There are overlaps. This isn't a comprehensive list here. We'll get to spiritual gifts in particular when we get to Romans 12, which gives another list overlapping with this list. But I think we miss Paul's point if we just look at this chapter and say, obviously God gives gifts to people. What's mine? It's like Christmas. You want to shake the presents. Does this one belong to me? Well, I hope you understand your giftedness. I hope you understand the difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. I hope you understand the difference between a spiritual gift and your house. I was in a, uh, a prayer meeting one time when a lady stood up and said, yeah, I'm so glad that God has given me the spiritual gift of my home. And I remember thinking, I've looked all through 1 Corinthians 12. <coughs> I don't remember that one. We're going to get to look again at the spiritual gifts when we get to Romans 12. So we'll have a full series on that. For right now, though, there's not as much said about these gifts and discovering the gifts as there is employing that gift in the body of Christ. He talks about a healthy body. A healthy body that functions and functions well and functions appropriately. One of the things we love uh, about watching, I think, the Olympics is you're seeing people at the top of their game. These are people who are the most proficient in the world at their game. Except maybe curling, but that's for another time. Well, how did they get in the Olympics? You've seen this, right? You push a rock down some ice and get a gold medal for that. I, I, anyway, um, for the most part, when you're watching the Olympics, you're watching the human body at apex form. Church is supposed to function like a well-trained athlete. Every part working together, everything in tandem, everything for one goal. Paul begins to describe that kind of a healthy body here. Now, here's what we have to ask before we jump into this passage. We are a part of the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the body parts. As a part of the body of Christ here at Mission Road, we have to constantly ask ourselves, are we healthy? Now, hopefully the answer is that is we see lots of health in our church. 
But the truth is we will never come to a point where we can look at our church and say, we're done. No problems. Totally healthy. No checkups needed. That's called heaven. Until then, God has called us as parts of a body to work together for the purpose that the body exists. And that is to glorify Jesus. What is the church? The church is really simply defined. It's the people of God defined by conversion. It's the people of God defined by conversion. You could say, well, there were people of God in the Old Testament. They weren't combined by conversion in the gospel. They were believing the, the revealed means that God had given them at the time. We are those who've been converted by Jesus Christ. We're all a part of the universal church. The universal church is, is every Christian on the planet. But we're also a part of a local church. The New Testament highlights more than anything the local church. Read the book of Acts. It's about local churches. Planning, establishing of local churches. Shepherding of local churches. Read Ephesians, excuse me, uh, Acts 20 about the Ephesian church. This is about a, a local body in a specific place being shepherded by a group of qualified, biblically, biblically um, uh, informed leaders who are shepherding that part of the body of Christ. If you look at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, there's much said about church leaders, pastors, elders, who they're to be, how they're to be qualified, how they're supposed to act, uh, to, to set things in order in church, in church to, to give oversight to people. And that's an important uh, thing to consider. But for tonight, I want us to look at, at, at you, at all of us, independent of church leadership and how we are supposed to function in the body. I just have four markers I want to show you, four little observations. We're going to go through this in very uh, different fashion than we typically do a sermon. I just want to talk to you about this text. In verses 11, 13, I want you to notice that gifting for service is according to God's wisdom. Gifting for service is according to God's wisdom. Look at verse 11. There's one and the same spirit who works all these things, distributing these gifts to each one individual as he wills. For even as the body is one, that's a human body, yet has many members, that's body parts, and all the members of the body, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, for by one spirit we are all baptized, identified with Christ, into that one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. The point he's giving here is, is that God gifts people for service. Now that's an important uh, distinction to make when you begin comparing yourself to others. You begin thinking, well, I don't have that gift. I wish I was like that. Or I wish I wasn't like this. And you start looking around and comparing. You can, you can get out of whack really quickly. Paul says, listen, you are who you are by the gifting of God. You may teach better or not as well as another. You may serve better or not as well. than You start comparing to others and get your eyes off the fact that God is the one who gave you these gifts and you're going to be instantly in trouble. Look at verse 14 though. Gifting is intended to be diverse by God. For the body 
is not one member, but many. <coughs> this is a strategic point Paul is going to press in this chapter over and over and over. We'll come back to this in Romans 12 whenever we get to Romans 12. There are all sorts of parts on the body, fingers and toes. He's going to actually identify some in a minute. God is intending it to be diverse. Uh, We understand what it's like to have diversity. It's good to have a right hand and a left hand, isn't it? It's good to have two feet. You don't appreciate the diversity of your body until something is missing, something is is, uh, um, infirmed. Uh, I was uh, running with um, my friend uh, across the street who was about, I don't know, six, seven years old, who was the friend of my son, just for argument's sake, we'll say his name's John. And we were sprinting. We were, they were on bicycles and I was, ready, I, was in the, I was running and we were sprinting through the cul-de-sac. And I was going to show them the excessive speed of a man of my stature and age. <coughs> As we were running, and, I, and they were riding, and, I, and I, they were riding, I was running. Um, uh, John, what was his name? Do you remember? Ross. It was Ross. He cut me off. And I went over him. It's like everything went in slow motion. I went over him. And my speed was so amazing. You would have been, I mean, it's, uh, it was, I can, I was so fast back then. I could flip the light switch off and be in bed before the light went out. That's how fast I was. I literally remember it's like slow motion. I was going over and I landed with my entire weight on my left hand. And I felt something in my elbow. And I broke part of my arm. For the next six weeks, I found out how much I used my left arm. Showering, driving, talking on the phone, especially when you only have one ear. And I mean, I was doing this the, the whole time. It was, it was ridiculous. I was, I was, I remember just getting frustrated. Like, I, I just want this to work. And then you begin thinking about people who've had severed limbs or who are crippled in any way and you begin seeing this is this is a challenge when all the parts of your body don't work god has given us a variety of body parts to function together i've told you over and over that when i was um 1985 i developed Meniere's disease, Meniere's syndrome, and that began a, a declension in my, my uh, hearing in my right ear. Um, it got worse and worse till I lost it uh, somewhere in the mid-90s um, and uh, was entirely deaf in my right ear. And it's uh, um, a handicap that I've, I've lived with for a while. And uh, I, I, it, it is entirely frustrating. I've been perceived as being rude, arrogant, unconcerned, aloof. Because if someone sits on my right side and they talk to me, I will just ignore them, seemingly ignore them, but I never hear them. That's really frustration when, when your only good ear is in the wind when you're driving. And I can talk to you about how I have a sweet church who helped me get into some hearing aids that are working really well. Um, it's frustrating when all of your body doesn't work. God intended for us to have multiple parts, and we're going to talk about that here in a moment. Let me give you another point. I'm, I'm racing towards the end here. Um, self-assessment is rarely God's assessment. Let me just tell you that. 
Self-assessment is rarely God's assessment. Look at verse 15. If the foot says, I love how Paul personifies body parts and has them have a conversation with each other. If the foot says, (coughs) because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less part of the body. And you, you might be tempted to say, okay, I understand. But then he goes on, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And you say, okay, I get it. No, no. If the whole body were an eye, a giant big eyeball. Can you imagine that? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? Isn't this an illustration that our five-year-olds can understand? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now he's bringing noses in. But now God has placed the parts, the members, each one of them in the body, just as he, what? Desired. He's the one who's made us like we are. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Now, this is where I just want to share my heart with you. If any one of us, first of all, if any one of us fails to serve in the body, something's missing. I mean, you're trying to work with one arm or... um, my, my dad used to always say, you know, he's about as effective as a one-armed paper hanger. I used to just think of that illustration and it was really, really effective. We're intended to have multiple parts in Christ's body. Now, he's, Jesus is the head. We're the parts. The head gives a signal and we function from the impulses from the head. Two questions arise from this. The first question is this. Do we understand that we're made the way we are so that we can give service to Christ in this local body? You have a serious responsibility to be a part of these relationships and utilize the way God has gifted you to make them better Christians. It's real simple. Now, everyone around you is to be doing the same as well. What happens when you have an anemic church is that some people serve, the same people serve, few people serve, and then everyone's not served, right? And then the people who are serving, serving, serving end up rarely getting served. So are you serving in the first place? Secondly, do you have any issues in jealousy? Do you wish you were some other way doing some other thing? I uh, (coughs) had a conversation with a, I had a conversation with a collegian years ago that I've, I've just never forgotten. It was one of those where I was trying to be sanctified in the moment, but I think if he looked deep into my eyes, he could tell that I was just not really happy. He was kind of joking. He was one of those guys. You know who those guys are? Don't be that guy. Those guys who just kind of speak their mind. You know, it's ready, you know, shoot, aim. They just, um, just have verbal vomit everywhere. He was just talking and spouting off. He says, what do you do all week as a pastor? I heard you played golf a few weeks ago. I, I did play golf a few weeks ago. What do you do all day? I mean, come on. And I, I was really tempted to answer the question, but he went on 
He said, yeah, I wish I was a pastor, a preacher. It's pretty easy. You just kind of say a few things on Sunday and that's it. And I felt my, my fist tightening up. So I remember saying, look, you ever turn in a term paper? He says, well, yeah. I said, imagine turning in three of them a week, 25-page term papers every week the rest of your life, and then delivering them publicly in front of people who are all critics. Sorry. <clears throat> he says, oh, so, I mean, you, you like study for that? And my fist was getting tighter. But he went on to say it, was, it ended well. He just said, yeah, I just, I mean, I, it would be great to be up front and to be appreciated and to be, to be admired as, as, a, as someone up front with music or preaching. And it was such an anemic view of leadership and of his own contribution. So I began asking him, what do you do? How do you serve people? Do you not understand? Look around this gym where we were. I said, look around this gym. Are there not people who you could serve and make their Christianity more advanced because of your interaction? And he said, I've never thought of it like that. Well, that's because you're a freshman and freshmen know everything. Sorry, freshmen. That leads us into the self-assessment is really God's assessment. God says, I made you this way to this last point I've been racing toward. Number four, comparing rarely matches God's assessment. When you start comparing, it rarely matches God's assessment. Now we get into the real issue that Paul is climbing toward in verse 20. (laughs) But now there are many members, but one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Now we're talking about interrelationships. Now we're talking about how the body relates to itself. There are conversations going on between the members in the body. Or again, or the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be, look at this, weaker are necessary. And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. What's he saying there? The Greek here is way more graphic than it looks like. When he's talking about the less noticeable members, he's talking about your guts, internal organs. And the point is, it might be tempting to say, well, you know, uh, great biceps, Great calves, they look great. Well, what a function you have in, in the more showy members of a body. And he's saying, actually, wouldn't matter without a liver and intestines and a stomach and a heart and things you cannot see. But without those, none of it would work. Paul's point here is that the less seen members are actually the most Needed members. I mean, just do the math on it. How many people are standing up here right now? One. How many people are out there? The math is really easy to calculate. There's more force in the members that aren't up front. There's more access, more opportunity, 
with the people sitting in the pews than there is with one person standing up front. Here's something we've been talking about as a, an elder board. If you boil down all of the New Testament teaching on preaching, the, the specific explanation after the book of Acts, which talks about a lot of just, just preaching events that happen. But if you study the preaching passages, you have arguably half a dozen Four for sure, arguably a half a dozen. But then if you look at how many passages there are that encourage one another body life, there are hundreds and hundreds. So where does the accent fall? I'm I'm glad we go to church. I'm glad we attend church. I'm certainly glad you're here tonight. But the main effect of the body of Christ doesn't just happen when we meet together. It happens because of relationships that flow all the time and are never turned off. Paul is saying here, are you comparing? Are you comparing the more showy members of the the body to the less noticeable members of the body? He says, forget it. God actually looks at those that are not seen as more honorable. Think of that. Don't you notice that most of the things in the Bible are the exact opposite of intuition? (laughs) Comparing rarely matches God's assessment. Look at the practical application just real quickly in verse 26. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Is that a reality in our body? For us to suffer with one another, to bear one another's burdens, to care for each other, to extend our giftedness, to receive the benefit of others' giftedness, we have to have relationships that extend beyond the meeting times on Sunday. Do we not? So people continue to say, why, 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 are, we, why are we moving toward care groups? Why are we talking about discipleship? Do, do we really need to explain that? If church is just what happens on Sunday, where do we do most of the New Testament? There's an awful lot of one another to, to compact into before Sunday school, between Sunday school and church, and right after church. And if you say, well, we got before and after church on Sunday night, maybe you could get a few more, but how many more and at what depth? Meaning that This is the big surprise in the text. God intends that we are intimately and deeply and purposefully involved in one another's lives. It's not always comfortable. That means that people know how you're doing. That means that we're correctable and correcting. Encouraging and confronting. And it won't happen just at the meetings of the church. I love the meetings of the church. I get up on Sunday mornings and I, pretty early, and I am so excited. It's like Christmas for me on Sunday. It really is. I can't sleep. But as wonderful as the church services are, what really has impacted my life are the relationships that I share with believers throughout the week. It's not just about going to hear a speech about God, right? It's not a one-way communication. 
You have enormous responsibilities to share and shepherd and care for one another. You say, what do I do? How do I do that? Right here it tells us. Find out how God has gifted you and serve. Now, these spiritual gifts, we're not going to take the time to study them now. In 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, are not a comprehensive list. And I would look at it more as a, a palette that a painter has with all sorts of, of colors. And a little of this, a little of that, a little of this, and, and some more of that other. And you make a color that becomes you that's unlike everybody and anyone else. These are exemplary gifts, but not comprehensive. The point is, how has God wired you? What desires has God given you that you can employ in helping other Christians grow? It's really simple. But in order to employ those spiritual gifts, you have to have the passion to want to serve others. The whole purpose of this is that the body functions best when all the individual members are working together. Verse 27, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Do we believe that? Do you understand that you have distinguishable responsibilities before God to advance the growth process of the people around you? Now, here's what can happen really easy. Is you hear this, you read this, and you say, oh, that's great. Ears and eyes and noses and feet and arms and hands. That's wonderful. Look at all that God has as a resource in the church to help me grow. And that's okay. Or you could also say, well, nobody's helping me out like that. I'm left out, abandoned. No one seeks me out. No one talks to me. And you might be right. And people might be letting you down. The answer to that is not, well, I'm going to pick up my spiritual football and go to another field. The answer to that is serve. Give. Sacrifice. Use the way God has wired you to advance the growth of other people. So here's the test. Can can we be really practical for a minute? If I were to ask you, okay, (coughs) pull out a piece of paper. I'm not doing it. Pull out a piece of paper. Let's look at who are the specific people last week and who are the specific people this week that you had a plan to engage to advance their growth in Christ? And once those people are identified, what was the plan? When that happens, let me just say it again, it gets really uncomfortable. You know why? People will find out what you are really like. And they'll probably figure out that you're a whole lot like they are. Sinners saved by grace, trying like crazy to get traction against sin, trying like mad to get traction with the Lord, struggling with quiet times, making sure. But if we come and we just look the part, then, then the challenge is everyone will think everyone's doing great except them. Ever felt that way? Well, I wonder why everyone is so perfect in their application of Christianity except me. Look, I, I don't think we should come in the door and say, okay, everybody line up. I got some things to confess. That would not be a good thing. But do we have people that we confess things with? Galatians 6, do we bear one another's burdens? Do we understand? This all precludes this simple issue. Are we in one another's lives? Or does church become an event we attend? Sometimes I think 
The Apostle Paul might walk into our church and say, that's it? Read Acts. They were walking together, learning together, eating together, moving house to house, discipling one another. Why? Primarily, if you go back up to verse 27, 26 rather, because they were suffering. I, I, I love the illustration that I, I, um, I've shared with some of you before <laughs> that when I played baseball, there was a, this stupid rule. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who started it, but if you find out, let me know. If you're standing in the batter's box and the pitcher throws wild and hits you in the, in the shoulder, hits you in the arm, our dugout would scream, don't rub it. And so your, your arm is falling off of your shoulder and you're dying, but you won't do this. You're just going to tough it out and you go down the, down the baseline. What's the natural instinct when you get hit in the arm? It's to care for it. What's the natural instinct when something flies into your eye? It's to care for it. What is the natural instinct when you stump your toe at night? Your voice cares for it. It yells. It gives voice to the pain. Point's pretty simple. The illustration is clear that the body cares for itself and has diversity for its maximum functionality. So how are you gifted? What are you doing? If the Lord were to come and give us all an individual assessment of how we're employing our giftedness, our unique ability to serve, our service opportunities with the people in the body of Christ here at Mission Road, what would that look like? By the way, that's why membership is important. We know who each other are. That's why care groups are important. It gives us an outlet to be able to do this. That's why church attendance is important. So we're coming not just to hear a sermon, not just to get preached to, but to engage one another. One of the things I love is Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, just watching so many of you get kicked out of church. Got to turn the lights off. Usually in the summer, that doesn't make any difference. You just say, oh, that's great. Less heat. Just want to stay and talk. That's the way it's supposed to be if... Those conversations have at their core care for one another. The body is intended to care for itself and to be an expressed, deliberate, intentional, purposeful extension of who Christ is. He's the head. Are we representing his desires? A few weeks ago, <clears throat> I had that thing that happens. Um, you've probably had it where your eye twitches for a few days. I've heard it's, it's, it's the lack of potassium. I've taken potassium pills. I've eaten bananas. I've done it all. That's a joke. I don't know. Something's, I don't, it's a demon or something. There is something in there. That was a joke. Bad chapter to make that joke. <laughs> um, it just twitched and twitched and twitched and it drove me Crazy, And it was, it was amazing to me how such a little thing distracted the rest of my existence. It's a good illustration, though. It's, there's no little thing in the body. And it should attract our attention. Even the, it's an interesting word, less honorable means less visible. Even the less visible parts. 
And by less visible, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. I'm just saying it's the people who typically aren't standing up and looking like they're in charge. Isn't it interesting, by the way, he, he gives on the, the, the next section, he talks about gifted men and apostles and prophets and administration helps, gives specific application. And after all that, he says, verse 31, desire greater gifts. You say, what are those? It really doesn't matter because of the next phrase. I show you still a more excellent way. And he talks about tongues being uh, employed right, but if you don't have love, you're a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then he goes into the great expression of Christian fellowship in verse 4. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account wrong, wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and the things that it never fails. More expressed commands are given about love than about the discovery of spiritual giftedness. Instead of running around taking all sorts of spiritual gift tests, why don't we see how can we love the people around us with how I'm wired, with who I am, with what I have, in the most deliberate, intentional sense, and then we'll accomplish the purpose of these two chapters. If we love one another and care for one another, if we go out of our way intentionally to to shepherd one another, then indeed we're accomplishing 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. We're loving each other. I love that verse 7, bears all things. You can't bear things you don't know about, which implies that we're talking and communicating and spending time with one another. <clears throat> now, I'm very tempted at this point to go off on our culture, how hard that is today. There's so many distractions, aren't there? Things in the morning, things at night, work that goes. We, we have to travel. Some people travel an hour each way to work. There's, there's a thousand things that can distract us from that. I just wonder, though, if any of those distractions hold up as legitimate excuses to not do this simple, basic function, chapters 12 and 13, of expressing love by being a part of the body and using the way God has wired us and gifted us to make people around us better Christians. Not all of the body functions at its maximum um, dimension all the time, right? One part's struggle, it's sore, it's hurt, it's this, it's that. All the body works together to compensate and help the rest of the body. Ephesians 5, it says, no man ever hated his own flesh. We understand instinctively how to care for ourselves. And the way we do that is supposed to be a living illustration for how we care one for the other. Don't misunderstand. I love preaching. I love uh, listening to preaching. I love the study and, and delivery of preaching. I, I, we are not going to compromise one part of that, Lord willing, from, from the part, fabric of Mission Road Bible Church. We're not talking about taking anything away from that. What we are talking about is adding a greater obedience to our interactions one with the other. You say, what's the takeaway from that? 
Become a member and get in a care group. You can do this as much as you can, but be intentional, be involved. Identify yourself with a local body. If it's not our church, find a church you can join. Get fully involved. Don't be a part-time church involver. Don't just be a little here and a little there. It's not about attending. It's about being involved in people's lives. So, let me ask you again. What are you doing specifically to advance the spiritual and Christian growth of the people around you? What are you doing? Now, we could spend the rest of the night saying, oh, I, didn't, I didn't pass the test very well. I'm not doing enough. You'll never do enough, ever. You're never going to get to the place where you say, my church attendance, off the chart. My church involvement couldn't be better. In fact, I'm the model Christian. If anybody wants to come and watch me, they would be well served. You're never going to get there. <laughs> what you're doing, excel still more. And if you're doing little, do more. I think that kind of rhymed. I didn't intend it to. I'm very, I'm very tempted to just keep going to chapter 14. Then you get into 15 and 16 because it's all one argument. But the anchor to the whole thing is love. Paul even says, can I show you this real quick? (laughs) Go over to 1 Timothy chapter (laughs) 1. Even preaching itself. First Timothy chapter one, verse five. What's preaching for? The goal of our instruction is what? Love. I love the fact that he doesn't specify that. Is it the love of God? Is it love to God? Is it love for the brethren? Is it what? It's just love. Love is the deliberate putting of ourselves down and the promotion of others around us, caring for their growth. So, how you doing? And do you want to do better? Paul says, excel still more. Are you involved with your brothers and sisters at Mission Road? If you want to know exactly how to do that in a better way, you can talk to me, talk to Bob. Bob knows everything about the church. It's a little bit scary. We can plug you in in all sorts of ways, in all sorts of of, uh, avenues, some of which will not be entirely comfortable to you. Some of which will fit you like a glove. My encouragement is try them all until you find exactly how the Lord has wired you to make the people around you better, more faithful believers. That's why we exist in the body. Several years ago, when I first came, we were doing a shorter church <coughs> um, uh, series, and I gave you an illustration that is is always alive in my mind and in my memory. I want to give it to you again without any apology. I grew up with a uh, cousin who had severe cerebral palsy. She was uh, born with it. And her name is Terry. Loved Terry. She she could never walk. We had chairs built for her, and uh, she couldn't eat. She had a, a feeding tube and. Uh, but, but her her body was obviously impaired, but her thinking wasn't. You could communicate really well with her. Uh, you would ask her questions of a yes and no answer, and she would look up for a yes. She would 
she would put her eyebrows on the ceiling for a yes. It was wonderful. And she would blink hard for no. It was pretty simple. She gave her life to Christ by, by looking up. It was just a sweet story that her, her mom tells about that. Terry would have spasmodic fits, though. You could see them coming on, and they would have to put socks over her hands and sometimes hold her down so she wouldn't hurt herself. And when she was 12, she developed pneumonia, and um, the Lord said, that's enough suffering, and brought her home. But her life and struggle with cerebral palsy is something I'll never forget because... You could tell that her mind was sending desires and signals to her body that weren't being responded to. And I always thought, what an illustration that could be for an unfaithful church. Where Christ as the head is sending out signals to the body, but it's not responding. Sometimes having to protect the body from itself conflict and, and actually the body harming itself. I pray that we're a church that listens to the head, Lord Jesus, responds to him and cares for the body. It's not destructive. Let's pray together. Father, this was just a high flyover of a subject that you have described so detailed and so carefully. It's so simple to know that you've given diversity, to know that you've given different gifts and different applications of your care to each person. Lord, cause us to to care, to love, to use who we are to serve others, to be serious about being a part of the body, to invite people in the Kansas City area to come and see what your body looks like when it's functioning in a healthy manner. Cause us to love one another, to care for one another, to serve one another, even when we don't know how. Lord, instruct us, teach us, inform us. So thankful that there's a diversity of members in the body. Use each one, each of us, specific ways to nurture, to care for, to advance the growth of the people we know and even the people we don't know yet. We want your body to be healthy here on Mission Road. Pray this because of Christ. Amen.